Blog Talk Radio. This is All About Wine, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009. Featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Ron. Basically what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Post your questions and comments during the live show on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutlinebtr. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutlinebtr. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Ron. Thanks so much, Okay, thank you, thank you. Uh, Mike's not with us tonight. Uh, his wife is in the hospital. I don't know why. He never let me know what the problem was. He said that she may be getting an operation, so I'm a little concerned. So I will let you... You know, if he happens to email me, excuse me, if he happens to email me before tonight's show is over, I will let you know what's going on. But uh, as of now, he has not gotten in touch with me and let me know what's going on. Well, our thoughts are with her, and uh, I'm sure it's, well, no, I'm not sure. I just hope it's nothing serious. So... Um, let's see, what does he say here? He says, uh, she went to the hospital early in the morning for surgery. Hmm. So that's all I know. But he is taking care of his wife. And you have me all alone today. The Blog Talk radio page also has a big red banner at the top of my studio page that says... We are currently experiencing an issue with our live broadcast system. Our engineers are working to fix the issue. Well, that means that you may or may not be able to hear me right now, or I may be cutting in and out, or I may be, I don't know about that either, because they don't tell us anything except that they're experiencing an issue. So, if... This is recorded and we put it on archives and you hear nothing but a hum or anything else, then that might be the issue or it might not be going out now or whatever. But the intro came out okay and it counted down like it's supposed to. So I think it might be, well, I hope it might be okay for the show. So hope everyone had a good Christmas and a safe Christmas, and you got all the goodies that you were hoping that you would get, and everyone was happy, and again, safe. And we've got New Year's coming up this Sunday night, and that's something else that's going to be even worse than Christmas, if it can be. I understand that the, we set a new new record for people out there traveling and all that, so that's scary. I never 
try I, I never go out on Christmas or New Year's. It always is just too scary, especially New Year's. Christmas we travel about a half hour away to son's house, but that's about it. And then New Year's pretty much stay in. I don't think I've been out my wife and I have not been out on New Year's in twenty years. No, not that long. Fifteen years, yeah, about fifteen years, because it's just crazy out there. So, well, we're staying home and celebrating the new year coming in with the good old trusty TV who shows the ball drop and everything else. We can start watching New Year's happen about six o'clock in the evening and all the way through every hour. So, uh, tonight we have some stuff to talk about as always. I think I'm going to talk about port. It's been a while since I mentioned port. It's been a while since we've talked about port. And so I'm going to talk about port. I tried to get rid of that red banner that was telling me that they're having issues. And I clicked it off and it disappeared and it came right back. So that's not a good thing. So I think I want to hope everyone can hear me and hope everything is okay out there. So we're going to talk about port, but I got a few other things here to uh, mention to you first before we talk about port. Whispering Oak Winery. Whispering Oaks Winery, they are located in Florida here, north of us. They are west of Ocala and north of Tampa. They are located, actually the address is 10934 County Road 475 in Oxford, Florida. Uh, winesofflorida.com, www.winesofflorida.com. They are, well, they're normally closed on Mondays. I don't know if they're going to be closed this Monday or not. Hmm. But, let's see, they may be. They have their... Steak dinner going on right now. $33 per person does not include tax, gratuity, or alcohol, but it does include a whole bunch of goodies. Choice of grilled beef medallions or surf and turf, which is beef medallion and grilled shrimp, or 12-eye ribeye, or fresh fish or chicken. All that is served with rice or baked potato, fresh vegetables, ranch-style baked beans, plated salad, or soup, and fresh baked bread. Again, $33 per person. You can give them a call, 352-748-0449, and make your reservations. They are required, by the way. Don't just pop in. they got live music this weekend. Friday, tomorrow, from 6 to 9, Jeff Brown. Saturday, from 6 to 9, Mike Webb. And Sunday, from 6 to 10, Lisa Steele's. I guess, what are they doing for New Year's? Oh, here we go. Uh, they need reservations for their New Year's. Why is it giving me a blank on this? Hmm. Well, uh, they do have uh, 2024... New Year's celebration coming in. Reservations are needed on that. I don't know what it involves. It's not, every time I click on this, it's not bringing up anything. And it, oh, there we go. Okay. 
New Year's Eve at Whispering Oaks. Uh, it says, okay. Live uh, music till 10 with an early New Year's Eve toast to close the night at 10. So that's what they're doing. They're closing up at 10. $60 per person, tax and gratuity not included. Reservations are available. Uh, complimentary dick, uh, drink ticket. Drink ticket. Uh, good for a glass of wine or beer. And let's see what else. Complimentary early champagne toast and oh, evening full of food and wine and music and friends. Okay, so that's what's going on. Uh, reservations are now available from 5 to 8.30. And that's what's happening with Spring Oaks for New Year's. Uh, again, you can give them a call, 352 seven four eight zero four four nine to make reservations for Sunday or you can go to the website which is uh wines of Florida I believe dot com. I say it enough, I say yeah wines of Florida dot com. So there we go. Um I had another thing here. Or, oh there is Tassel Ridge. Tassel Ridge is located in Iowa, South Iowa, actually. Uh, their address is 1681 220th Street in Leighton, or Leighton, L-E-I-G-H-T-O-N, Iowa. And they are going to do, are they doing New Year's? Uh, I'm on their site, but I'm trying to find uh, what it says about New Year's. Wine of the Week, Oven Fried Pizza by Reservation Gift Shop. Uh, tastings are by Reservation Only, although the tastings are pretty cool. They, uh, uh, the price is 15 to $25. Seating is limited. Uh, the tasting bar has a walk-in. It's not open, so you do need to make reservations. And it's carryover from COVID. And no, I don't see anything about New Year's, anything they're doing about New Year's there. So maybe they're not. But uh, if you want to get a hold of them, you can go to their website, which is info at tasselridge.com. You can find out what you want there. Uh, it has all sorts of stuff. You can email them. Or you can go to, where is it? Uh, I always have a problem finding the website for Tassel Ridge. I don't know why, but it just... Always gives me a hard time of trying to find out what their website actually is. Uh, I don't know. Info at tasselridge.com. That's tassel. I'm being told that my accent distorts my words. So T-A-S-S-E-L-R-I-D-G-E, Tassel Ridge. Where I got the name, I don't know. I never asked him when I was there. And that takes care of that one. Uh, but I want to talk to you about a couple other things here. Uh, let's see. New Eagle Battle Europe's in California. Oh, okay. 
New California law is going into effect, was supposed to go into effect if it hasn't been stopped. But the law basically says that uh, alcohol producers outside of California are not able to sell directly to California state businesses. Hmm. No, under current law, California is one of many states that allow out-of-state wineries to ship directly to individual consumers. It is also one of 12 states where consumers can receive shipments from out-of-state retailers, though in California's case, only from states that also accept shipment from out-of-state retailers. It's a reciprocal thing. There's some states that do that. There's, you know, if you, if I can ship to you, you can ship to me. Uh, Florida, yay for them allows us to get shipments from everywhere in the country and we can ship back and forth and all that. So that's one thing I can say that's really great about Florida when it comes to wine. We can get shipments from everywhere. But what's less common is that licensed California wineries can ship California retailers and restaurants without having to go through a wholesaler or distributor. And this involves, what this does is actually stops a middleman that can actually be more expensive and it helps keep the prices down for the consumers. But this past November, last month, two wine producers, Dwindle Country Wines, are also known as Dwindle Country, or Dwindle, Dwindle Country Ells in Washington State and Buckhell Family Wine in Colorado fill, filed lawsuit charging California's law banning out-of-state producers from selling directly to retailers and restaurants. So they're saying, hey, this isn't right. The suit was filed with U.S. District Court and combined with similar cases across the country. It could make a big difference in wine sales around the country, not just in California. It depends on how this thing is ruled. And it will probably be appealed and appealed and appealed. So it's not going to be settled real soon. They'll appeal it, and it'll, in my opinion, end up in the Supreme Court because they're going to have to find out, you know, get a, a definitive answer on this and what's going on with it. So... We will see. It's they're they're claiming constitutional. Uh, it's the commerce clause, and, and the commerce clause is laid out so that states cannot stop other states from trading there. It's a, a good clause, I think. I mean it allows things to be sent across borders, commerce, and stuff like that. It is not being applied to alcohol, particularly wines and beers. Um, back in, uh, well, let's see, uh, from a legal perspective, let me read you this. It's easy to read this, and it is to transpose it. Uh, the plaintiffs claim California's law violates the Constitution's dormant commerce clause, 
which prohibits states from discriminating against interstate commerce. And this is basically used in wine distribution and shipping cases. I, it's brought up a lot of times. I mean, if all the wineries in this country got together and said, look, we want to challenge the laws that we can't ship into all these other states because of the Commerce Clause, we'd probably win, and it'd probably be okay to ship everywhere, every wine, all the time. But these big places that keep you out have lots more money than small wineries that want to do that. So, to continue... From a legal perspective, these state laws permitting in-state producers certain rights while denying the same rights of out-of-state producers are a clear commerce cause violation. Okay. And that's what they're going to look at. Uh, the Granholm, uh, let's see, the uh, Supreme Court's what they call the watershed decision, Granholm versus Hield, overturned Michigan and New York state laws banning shipments to consumers from out-of-state wineries while still permitting shipments from in-state wineries. See the problem here? If you want to stop it, stop your in-state wineries from doing it or let everybody do it. And that's basically what the Supreme Court ruled. Well, as with other legal battles in New Jersey, Ohio, and elsewhere, state governments have argued that other shipping restrictions, such as bans on shipping by out-of-state retailers, are needed for alcohol regulation. The 21st Amendment has guaranteed state control of alcohol sales since the repeal of the of prohibition. That's one of the keys, too. That is one of the things that causes the problem, because the 21st Amendment re repealed the 18th Amendment, which repealed alcohol and, well, better known as prohibition. And when they put it back into the thing that you can sell alcohol, they gave the power to the states. And so the Supreme Court has repeatedly said laws restricting alcohol sales must be for either maintaining orderly markets or promoting temperance, not for benefiting local businesses. Hmm. So this is what's going on now. Uh, interesting cases on, on these things. Uh, I just... I, I follow them, and I just scratch my head on some of them because it seems like a lot of this is cut and dry, and yet they say things like, you know, it's maintaining an orderly market and promoting temperance. Huh? And then they always bring up the kids. You know, you, you start shipping across states like that and there's no control and kids will order alcohol or order wine and they'll get it. And that's, in my opinion, one of the stupidest arguments that you can get because kids aren't going to try to get a credit card, try to order wine, sit around, hope that their parents aren't home when their wine arrives and then find someone who is 21 or looks 21 to sign for it. I mean, oh, come on. 
it's if kids want to drink, they're going to go down to the local 7-Eleven when somebody walks in and say, hey, pick me up a six-pack. I'll give you an extra five bucks. And there's always someone that will do it. So, yeah, I know. It sounds like I've done that, doesn't it? But it, it, it just the way it is. Kids aren't going to order wine to drink. And if they, you know, I mean, ah, that argument just drives me nuts. Um, so, some courses demanded that harder evidence that state alcohol shipping and distribution laws are actually essential for maintaining public health and safety. Well, you know, how, huh? So it's the whole thing is just a bunch of lawyers playing against a bunch of lawyers trying to get something and, you know, see what I did. Um, how does this impact, impact us, consumer? This is the big question here. I mean, you know, they can go ahead and play their games on that. But how is this going to affect us as people who want to drink the wine? Uh, Out-of-state producers cannot receive a license to ship directly to retailers and restaurants. They must go through a wholesaler or importer. And this is in so many states, including California. And any winery can only offset that cost by discounting the wholesale price, which reduces their profit, or by increasing the price for the consumers. Hmm. Either choice puts them at a disadvantage to California wineries who can ship directly and they don't have to worry about it. And they also state that wineries would have a better control over prices and delivery logistics if they were able to self-distribute. You know, it just it goes on and on. I some of these laws, I just go crazy, and, and I don't have the wine anymore, and I'm not shipping to different places. But I used to follow these things really close when I had the wine because some of the laws I've have had letters from state attorneys sent to me before. You can't ship here unless you have a license, and so I send them a copy of the license, and they go, "Oh, okay," you know, and stuff like that. It just it's an ongoing thing that can be better well spent if they just let everybody ship everywhere to anybody without any restrictions. And then everyone would be happy and the wineries would stay in business and everything would work well. And instead, they have to cause all this stuff. And the lawyers, of course, have to get in there. I'm not a big lawyer fan. If you're a lawyer, I'm sorry. Um Sorry that I'm not a big lawyer fan. Uh, not I'm sorry you're a lawyer, but that might be part of it too. Who knows? So the battle is going on. We'll find out what's happening on this in the future here. This is one thing that we don't know. Um, so we will see what's, what's happening. Um, you have heard that they're doing wine under the ocean, right, in, in water. It's, it was a thing they did, what was it, a year ago, year and a half ago, something like that. Uh, they sunk a bunch of wines and see how they would age in water with the constant temperature of the ocean and stuff like that. And they're saying it's pretty good. It aged quite well. Most of them have anyway. And it might be something that 
could be used by other wineries that are close to water, California, and all the coastal wineries. So um, it's been 10 years since the first ocean-aged wines were available in the United States, and they're saying that it's still, uh, these wines are still pretty decent. So uh, it might be might be something in the future there to that. Who knows? We'll keep an eye on and see if we start seeing ocean wines out there anywhere. Uh, okay. And so much for those. Let's go back to this and see if we can see something. Uh, okay. New California Recycling laws come into effect January the 1st. Uh, okay, I need to keep track of the fees that are your responsibility. They have... Uh, come on. Come up here and let me see this. Uh, the California Recycling has new fees. If you sell wine or spirits to California consumers and are retailers, you're considered a beverage distributor under California's recycling law. And in January 1st, you must collect CRV fees. These are recycling fees on all bottle sales to consumer, California consumers. That is five cents per container to four fluid ounces or 10 cents per container over 24 fluid ounces and 25 cents for bladders and boxes of any size. And then you have to report these every month beginning in February 28th of 2024. Oh my God, California is just starting more and more paperwork for the poor wineries there. They go crazy. I was out there a few years ago and, and when I go, I always try to visit more than just wineries. I try to see some of the winemakers. I try to see some of the uh, vineyards and, and people are growing and all that stuff. And I was talking to two or three different people when I was last out there. And they said it's gotten to the point now where all they do, the head wine, or the head wine, yeah, the head winemaker at one of the big wineries said all he does now is paperwork. And most of the other stuff is done by people that are under him. He said it's just the paperwork has just gotten so crazy out there and so nuts of all the stuff they have to do. And here's something else. They So if you get anything in California, it's going to charge you an extra nickel, dime, quarter, whatever, depending on the size you get, for everything you get because of new recycling law. And you got to get an account number and you got to begin collecting and tracking the fees if your company there and all that stuff. Oh my gosh. Uh, it's another crazy thing that California started. They're always putting new laws and new stuff in as if that's going to make a great big difference. Okay. It might. Who, who am I to say? Um, okay. Let me see. And they're all saying that 23 was a great year. Everything I've read says 23 is a great year. So let's hope so. You know, I, it would be nice to get a, a good vintage out there 
And so one we can look back on and say, 2023 was fantastic. And then you know, 50 years from now, they're saying, oh, 23 in the United States was a great year. We hope so. I was just something else I want to bring up, too, while I'm sitting here trying to find this next thing here, which I can't. Um, I'll go to my port. How's that? Uh, okay, here we go. Uh, something else I was thinking about, and uh, I just drink. It's just water to quench my thirst. Um, the I, I was talking to the cigar guys that was on what three weeks ago, two weeks ago, and end of the year. Cigars come out with Cigar People, Cigar Authority, which is part of the wine enthusiast family and our wine spectator. I'm sorry, wine spectator family. And uh, all these different ones are always coming out with their cigars of the year. Top 25 cigars of the year, top 10. Even the guys I talked to last night were looking at some of their top picks and what they thought and one of them was going to, well, Cap was going to list his. And I was thinking after I got off the conversation with them, wine doesn't do that a lot. You don't see a lot of picks for the year in a whole bunch of different places. Now, Wine Spectator did show, did come up with the top 10 for the year. I think it was 10, yeah. Top 10 for the year. But that was about it. You don't find a lot of the top picks. I've never considered doing the top picks for wine for the year for well, two or three different reasons. Number one, you can always get expensive wines and find them to be good, but people can't afford them. So it's just a matter of you sitting there saying, all right, I had this $200 bottle of wine, and it was great, and it's going to be number three on my list, and this is number two. People don't care. They're never going to try them, and they're never going to taste them. If I ever do a list, which I seriously doubt I will, but if I ever do a list, I would definitely try to keep it as inexpensive as possible, try to keep it around the $15 mark, because that's what people usually buy. And... If, if you're going to make a list on wine, I think it really should have like three categories. The 10 to, 10 to 15, the 15 to 25, and then the over 25, because most of the people out there that are buying wines aren't buying wines that are expensive. They can't afford it. If you do it every once in a while, that's great. And I highly encourage that. Most of the wines you buy are going to be between 7 and $15. That's just about average cost for the average person to buy wines. And, yeah, there's some decent ones in that category, and there are some really bad ones in that category. And you probably have your favorites in there, which is great, and it's wonderful. But overall, they're not great wines. They're not made well or anything else. They're put out there to show people what's available and all that. And I, 
I'm, I'm not criticizing your taste or anything else. It's just that that's the way they're made. I always suggest to people to jump up from the 15 to $30 range. Double your money you're spending and buy bottles in that range. Now, you don't have to buy the next 10 out of 10 or even the next 5 out of 10, but get the next 2, 3 out of 10 in the higher range. And you will see a difference. You will see a difference in the quality and the taste and all that. People say, well, I, I can't tell the difference. There's no way I can tell the difference in that. Well, yes, you can. And, and it is noticeable. I, a burger, you go down to McDonald's and you can get yourself a burger for, what is it now, dollar forty nine or whatever, I don't know, for a regular, you know, hamburger with, you know, a couple of pickles splashed on it and ketchup and mustard. That's a hamburger. And, you know, you may enjoy it. And if you're hungry, you will. But you can also go to Outback and get yourself a burger or even Five Guys or even In-N-Out Burger or any of these others and get yourself a burger. It's going to cost you more, but you can really tell the difference in that burger. It's not a mystery. It's better. And you can tell it's better. Same thing with wine. You start spending more money on it, and you can tell it's better. There's no mystery to it. It is a better burger or a better bottle of wine. So uh, do that. Get yourself the next 10 bottles of wine, next two or three. Jump on up. Get out of your comfort zone. Get out of your default wine that you normally pick up and look around for one that's a little bit more expensive and try those. I think you will definitely see the difference. But I don't make a top 10 list because of that reason. There's Where are you going to go? Are you going to do a mix of white and red? Or are you going to do expensive? Are you going to do inexpensive? I don't do top 10 lists because of too many variables. And, you know, great for the people who do. I don't. So, okay, port. I've talked about port in the past, but had someone ask, when was it? Oh, on the golf course. For some reason, the subject got on port. And, I mean, who knows why subjects go the way they do. All of a sudden, you're talking about something that's completely off the wall. Well, it was port. Excuse me. This was Tuesday when I was in there. And somebody mentioned something uh, about the fact that they were they were given they were they gave or no, they received a bottle of port for Christmas is what it was. And we started to talk and they said, I wish you knew I said, I know about wine. I know so we started to talk about it and I started to talk about port. And it got me thinking, it's been a while since we've talked about port on the show here. So I'm going to talk about port for a while here anyway. There's a lot of stuff you can talk about port, but I'm not going to go crazy. I'm, well, I could, but I'm not going to go crazy. We're still going to get out of here uh, at good time. 
Well, I'll tell you what. Before we go any further, let me jump back and see if Mike happened to respond to me. And no, he did not. Well, I was just curious, and I was hoping that maybe he did, so we know how the how the wife is. But okay, the birth of port. Okay. Uh, 1667. Uh, this article is messed up. Man. What is Port? History of Port? The birth of Port. Well, let's go back to the history of Port. Uh, and, yeah, here we go. Uh, This is a good article here. I just I glanced at it. But, uh, grapes have been grown in Portugal since antiquity. The writings of Strabo, the great geographer of ancient Greece, indicate that inhabitants of the northwest of the Iberian Peninsula were already drinking wine 2,000 years ago. The Romans, who arrived in Portugal in the 2nd century B.C. and remained for over 500 years, grew vines and made wine on the banks of the Duro River, where port is produced today. That period of prosperity, which followed the establishment of the Kingdom of Portugal in 1143, saw wine become an important export. However, the emergence of port wine as we know it today occurred much later. First wines known by this name were shipped in the second half of the 17th century. In 18 or in 1386, the Treaty of Windsor established a close political, military, and commercial alliance between England and Portugal, which is the key to it right there. That did it. Under the treaty, each country gave the merchants of the other the right to reside in its territory and trade on equal terms with its own subject. And strong trading took place because of that. In half of the 17th century, a significant amount of Portuguese wine was being exported to England and a lot of salt cod, known in Portugal as bakuhu, was being shipped to Portugal from England. Uh, the Ang Anglo-Portuguese Commercial Treaty of 16, uh, 1654 created new opportunities for England and Scottish merchants living in Portugal, allowing them special privileges and preferential customs. Uh, at the time, the center of the wine business was not Oporto, as it later became, but the elegant northern town of Viano do Costello. The merchants imported commodities such as wool and cotton, cloth and cotton, and exported grain, fruit, oil, and what is known as Red Portugal, which was the original wine, very acidic, made in the Minho region. So that was... That was where it was first made. 
few years later, the exports of Portugal wine to England uh, started to escalate. And in 1667, Colbert, who was the first minister of Louis XIV, embarked on a series of strict trade um, uh, 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 imports from uh, France and England. And uh, King Charles of England uh, also started to increase the duty of French wines and later forbid the import altogether of French wines, which the English went, oh, no, we can't do this because we like to drink. So the English merchants at Vienna de Costello began to concentrate their efforts to get the Portuguese wines there. But they realized that their thin, astringent, and unstable wines couldn't make it to England because of the temperatures and humidity and everything else in the region. So they began to look for a more robust, full-bodied wine could make the trip. Well, they found the steep, rocky hillsides of the upper Douro Valley. It was hot, and then the wines made the Muriel Mountains, where port is made today. And the long distance and wild mountainous terrain meant that Douro wines could not be transported overland to Vienna de Costello, but had to be carried down the river Douro by boat to the city of Oporto, near the coast. From Oporto, ships then carried them to England, selling into the Atlantic over the mouth of the Dural River. So in order to keep their business and wines of the Dural, the merchants of Vienna de Costello had to establish themselves in Oporto, and by the end of the first decade of the 18th century, most of them had done so. Huh, boy. Uh, one of the early pioneers of the trade was Peter Beersley. He was the son of the founder of Taylor Fladgate, who is said to be the first English wine merchant to make the journey into the upper reaches of the Dural Valley. Came from mountainous hinterland, uh, Dural Valley, some 80 kilometers from the coast. The wines took the name of the city from which they were shipped, becoming known in Portuguese as Vino de Porto, meaning O Porto wine, and in English as Port. And so, the earliest recorded shipment of Port was in 1678, and to protect the wine during the long sea voyage, it was sometimes fortified prior to shipment with the addition of small amounts of grape spirit or brandy which increased its strength and prevented it from spoiling. However, the technique of adding small portions of brandy to keep the wine sound during shipment should not be confused with the process, now an essential part of the making of port, of adding brandy to the wine during fermentation. Okay, the doing it during for, uh during fortification, it was universally adapted much later. So 
adding it to the wine as it was ready to ship is not classified as fortified wine. So there you go. Uh, here, uh, fortification, dawn of fortification. Uh, second half of the 18th century was a significant period in the history of port and saw the start of several developments. All not all, I'm sorry, not all merchants encouraged the practice, and it wasn't until well into the 19th century that this method of fortification became widely adopted during uh, fermentation. One of the fiercest opponents of fortification was the famous Baron Forster, who was a legendary figure in the history of port wine and the author of the first detailed map of Douro Valley campaigned against fortification until his death in 1862, and that was, he was killed when his boat capsized. Um, he had been launching further up the river and uh, at a famous estate belonging to Taylor Fladgate, uh, and then all these names, which we don't really care what all their names were. Uh, Port would eventually uh, not have been the iconic fortified wine we know today if it weren't for Forrester and and uh, the people around him and all that. So he did do a lot of stuff on that. Uh, phylloxera, I want to talk about that. Phylloxera is believed to have reached the Earl Valley in 1868. And it first unleashed its destruction on the eastern area of the Dural, the source of the finest ports, and by 1872 had brought many famous port estates to their knees. Uh, yields fell dramatically and it caused a shortage and a rise in price. Uh, one of the most energetic champions of the battle against John Fladgate, one of the partners of Taylor Fladgate. He traveled to France and found out what their remedies were and published his findings in an open letter to the Dural farmers who later awarded the title of Baron of Rhoda to him because he did that uh, by grafting it on. A lot of those farmers, and it's not saying so here, but a lot of those farmers were in servitude to their masters. They had little plots of land and most of them were didn't own it. They were just farming it for it for the uh, for their masters. Um, so we jump forward to the 20th century. Port consumption continues to grow up into the 1920s, and then the United States put their uh, uh, prohibition in that stopped basically everything coming here, but after Prohibition was the Great Depression of the 30s, which hit the world. It wasn't just here in the United States. That Great Depression of the 30s was worldwide, uh, and, and the impact of port sales really saw a major decline. Um, so and younger styles of port and unvintage port were being drank as an aperitif in France and around. England was the, one of the biggest port drinkers in the world, and they still are, by the way. England is uh, enormously 
big port drinker by by leaps and bounds. Um, quality of port has jumped up over the years. Uh, they've got uh, ports now that uh, range in ages from 10, 20, 30, 40 or, uh, years or longer. These are old tawny ports uh, that have been around forever. There's different styles of ports and everything too. Uh, and what's to say here about into the future? Uh, says consumers are everywhere are more knowledgeable and looking for good ports. Yeah, we know that. Let's see. I've got some uh, other stuff about ports. Sparkling wines. Well, I don't want sparkling wines. Uh, oh. Uh, while I was looking at port, I was looking and trying to find what countries make port and how cells are on that. And I found what countries make port. The United States, obviously, Australia, India, Argentina, Canada, and South Africa. Uh, although port is unique to Portugal. It's... Uh, because of the Treaty of Versailles and World War One and all that, port can only be called port in Portugal. But all the rest are fortified wines. And there are more than 80 grape varieties grown in Portugal's Douro Valley and surrounding regions. So if you say port is made from this grape or that grape, you're probably right. Because there's so many different types. They don't specify the grape type. And so it's uh, it's so unique that only Portuguese-made port can carry the identifying term Porto on the label. And it's any grape, uh, basically 80 different types of grapes that are that are being used. What? Don't click that up on me. Uh, it's recognized as a fortified red wine, although there are white wines. And at types of ports, there is ruby port. This is a young wine. Uh, it's aged, but only for about three years. It's one of the least expensive ports on the market and one of the most popular because it's one of the most least expensive. Vintage port. Okay. Vintage port is the highest quality port available. It is created from a single year's blended harvest across a number of vineyards, and they call them quintas. Uh, these are the vineyards. These are all the quintas were uh, owned by enslaved farmers and uh, grape growers. Uh, but um, they're still referred to as quintas vineyards. And the vintage port is aged more than 20 years or 20 or more. It's often placed in oak cast for six months and then transferred to the bottle. And when a vintage port is produced by a single quinta, it's called a single quinta vintage port, which is very expensive and very rare. Uh, you don't find much of those, but it is very good. I've had an opportunity to have one, two, one or two of those. I can't recall. And, oh, my gosh, it's just so 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 good so 
uh, look for vintage port, you are going to pay more. Late bottled vintage, sometimes confused with vintage port, a late bottled vintage designation, DV, means that the port was made from grapes grown in a specific year, but the resulting wine was aged in oak for four to six years and then bottled and marketed. So it is confusing. Vintage port is aged for 20 or more. Late bottled vintage, four to six. Oh, watch that designation there. They they change it a little bit. And then there's a vintage character port. This is a cross between port made from multiple vintages and you, you blend them more than one year and then designed to taste like a single vintage variety. Should be cheaper. You need to watch those. Be sure you are reading your labels whenever you buy a port because they can be confusing. Tawny port. Light or reddish brown in color. Tawnies are aged in cask and gathered from multiple vintages. They get their lighter color from wood aging and tend to be among the sweetest ports available. Some tawnies are aged up to 40 years. A tawny port produced from a single vintage is called a colhita port. C-O-L-H-E-I-T-A. Colhita port. Okay, now, tawny ports are cheap, but when you start getting a guita port and stuff like that, they're not. You, you get ones that age for 40 years, and they're not. Uh, what is the New York winery? Oh, geez, I can picture the label, but I can't see the name on it. Uh, uh, oh, geez. It drives me crazy now. I can't think of it. But the um, uh, New York Winery puts out a uh, tawny port that is extremely popular. Uh, they do it year after year, and they sell jugs of it, and it is extremely popular. And a lot of people like those because it's it's got enough sweetness that it's good, and it's a little bit heavier and all that. So you can look at getting something like that. Taylor. Taylor. That's the name of the... Taylor Port, uh, very popular all over. And then last, White Port, which is actually gold in color, not really white. White Port's made from white grapes, not red. So it tends to be a little less sweet than a typical port, but it's uh, it's really pretty good. If you get yourself a, a decent one, you know, you'd spend a little bit more money for it, and it's going to be uh, a little bit better. So, dessert served with port. Port is wonderful with chocolate and cheeses. And as a finish to a meal, I mean, you, you, <laughs> port and chocolate get yourself some very good dark chocolate and uh, a nice port. Oh, my gosh, I've had the opportunity, and it is just like a party in your mouth. It's wonderful, wonderful combination. And it's a good way to finish a meal. It's your dessert after you finish it. A nice port with a cheesecake. Oh, delicious. I made a strawberry port 
which I'm going to tease you for a little bit because there's no such thing left anymore. But I made a strawberry port that was phenomenal with cheesecake. Uh, it was just, you, I mean, you, you can do a strawberry cheesecake with that, and it was just unbelievable combination. And also I had opportunities to have it with some very good chocolates, and it was it's just delicious. So try your porch with cheesecake for uh, really a, a great combination for dessert and stuff. Porch is great for that. And here's a little note here. It says, did you know if you love the idea of serving a vintage port at your next party, you can find these premium wines in half bottles? Okay, so look for that. And the best results serve port at a or a little lower than room temperature, say around 64 to 66 degrees. Two, it doesn't have to be doesn't have to be pulled off the shelf and popped open. Throw it in the refrigerator for a half hour. That'll bring the temperature down a little bit for you, and that will. That's nice too to have that just that slight bit of chill on it. But port is an excellent way to finish uh, a meal of the have it as a dessert and not just with but as a dessert a little glass of port with dessert as a dessert is just really a uh, great combination it does contain a lot of calories if you're looking for it uh, a regular glass of port's going to run you over 1100 calories which is a lot when you're watching calories. I mean, just a glass of port's going to destroy your <laughs> your calorie count for the day. So uh, uh, keep keep that in mind if you're looking for calories. But uh, let's see. I was there was one other thing I was going to tell you the percentage. Let's see. Is this the one? No. Is this the one? Yeah, I was going to talk about this for a second, too. Uh, different types of ports in different areas are usually called ports. They usually just say port are uh, you know, made in the port style or something. But in France, they have a name uh, for the name that's the town of uh, Banyols, uh actually Banyols sur mer and Banyos is a French appellation uh, AOC that is for Banyos wine, or actually they're fortified wine. They're a fortified port salt wine. And it's a dessert wine made from old vines cultivated on terraces of the slopes of the Catlin Pyrenees uh, in the Roseland County of France. And on the south is Amparta, which is a wine region in Catalonia in Spain. So it's right down toward the border. It's limited to four communities in France. Uh, Banyols, which is where it's got its AOC, takes its name. Cerbera, Collier, and Port Vendre. And the boundaries of the AOC are identical to those of the Corlure AOC which doesn't tell us anything, does it? Uh, the Banyos Grand Cru is an AOC for superior wines that would otherwise be classified as scented Banyos. They must be matured for 30 months, and the grapes permitted are the same. 
what are the grapes, though? I was trying to find this earlier. Oh, they're there. Most wines are red, though some are white, and rosés are produced. Permitted grapes variety are Grenache Noir, at least 50%, 75% for the Grand Cru, Grenache Gris, Grenache Blanc, and Carignan. And also, but rarely uses Macabu, Muscat, and Malvasi. So there you go. It's Banyuls, uh, Banyuls, B-A-N-Y-U-L-S, and it's out of France, and it is a port, uh, port, port style. Although it's got a pedigree to it, so uh, check that out. If you're really looking for porch, try uh, the banyuls and see if that doesn't live up to your expectations. And so I think, what is it? Oh, it is 8 o'clock. So I think that's it for the night. Uh, let me do one more quick check here and see if Mike got a hold of me. No, well, I hope the wife is okay. I really do. So um, we are done for tonight. Let's see, where's my... There we go. Okay. And I hope this went through because the flag is still up there saying they're experiencing issues with the broad uh, live broadcast, so I don't know what's going on there. And every time I click out of it, it pops right back at me, so it may have affected this episode. I don't know. So, uh, New Year's coming up Sunday night. Be safe, careful. Don't drink and drive. Find yourself a designated driver. Or there's a lot of companies out there that are offering free rides if you drink too much, too. So be sure you copy the numbers of those places down and put them in your wallet or in your purse, and that way you have them available if you feel you've had too much because the Mr. Police Officer loves to be out there on the road on Mike Sunday night, keeping an eye on it and keeping it safe, which you can't blame him. There's other ways for you to get home. So don't drink and drive. Have yourself a wonderful, happy new year, and we will see everyone next week. Uh, which is what date? I don't know. It's going to be the 7th. Is that right? Well, no. One, two, three, four. The 4th. Yeah. Uh, it'll be the 4th. So we'll see everyone on the 4th. I don't believe we have a guest. We do a week after that. I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, we have an author that's going to be with us. So tune in. And don't forget to tune in to... Flightline Radio, flightlineradio.com. That's Mike's radio show. Streaming 24-7. He also plays a repeat of this on Saturday at noon. You can also tune in to 1st and 15th, which is uh, an irreverent chat between CAP uh, every... uh, um, I forgot what I was talking about. Uh, so uh, tune into that every Wednesday morning at 7, every Wednesday evening at 7. And also, uh, 
what else does he do? Oh, he's live from 10 to noon on Saturdays. So that's Flightline Radio. It's a great uh, great way to just put the headphones on, tune it in, and while you're pewter or you're doing stuff, you can just listen to it stream right right in your right into your headphones. So look forward to seeing you all next week. Be safe out there. Have yourself a wonderful new year. And we will uh, see you next week. Thanks for listening. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine with your host, Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archive shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine.